Welcome back to another podcast episode. This is episode 20. I'm here with Kendrick Kong. Yo, yo. How you doing? I'm great. What's up? Not much. Just just chilling. Um, what have you been up to lately? Uh, just, you know, more of my art stuff. You know, like, I, as an artist, I've kind of just been, you know, jumbling here and there with more of my either VR art or interior design or product design or, inter- or industrial design is kind of the main things. Ooh, industrial so, design. Ooh, we'll definitely basically, about that. I've been busy finishing my finals, getting that all sorted out with my art. So Nice. That's it. That's cool. And what kind of art do you say you do? So um, again, I do VR art, um, product design, interior design, and industrial design. Yep. Industrial design. So the, like all of this is like digital? Mostly, so either I can do stuff in digital, 3D, 2D, hand-drawn, oh, oh, right, right, right. pretty much um, dive through all of it. The entire process of um, my art is to kind of like mix every talent, uh, every like, kind of genre together to fit a mold. So like you don't have to, you know, take pottery just to do pottery, right? You can take the skills in pottery, bring it into stuff like architecture, you can make buildings out of that. Too. That's right, that's right. right. And, that, and, that, and, and that kind of explains why you have a 3D printer right there, man. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, how much did that cost? Uh, you know, it's it, uh, funny fact is 3D printers actually cost a lot more than, than usual, usual rates. So like an Prusa i3 would cost maybe like three grand, especially like, um, uh, let's say for example, the uh, whatever printers we have, I think it's a megabyte I have. Whatever it is in the in my school, those cost about three to five grand. Two to five. That grand. cost me fourteen hundred dollars. Not bad. That's not bad at all. But and it's probably the best printer I've ever seen in my life. Really? Honestly. Yeah. So, Compared to whatever the price range was at, like three k to five k, this is way better. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. So, so do you think these are better? This this one right here is better than the one in your school. Definitely. And really, the, the best part about it is because I have my own. Um, you get way finer prints. Like I manage like exactly how I maintain tools and everything. Oh. I know when's the last time I printed. I know exactly what errors have been caused beforehand. That way, I know how to fix it. Okay. So that I'm not walking into stuff blind, right? As opposed to walking into a room full of printers where it's free, but you don't really know the machine yourself. So you kind of expect someone else to try to have it fixed. Yeah. If you don't, you're out of luck. Um, and generally using printers with so many people who you don't know and have so such poor maintenance in terms mm-hmm. of like 3d printing True. that you might end up getting a worse print once you get it out some people i know spend an entire semester like just making one piece but it takes them like i don't know three months just to do it because they've been trying to print it every single week and when they don't get access to it it's booked up so mm, sometimes okay. they don't get the projects done Damn, Damn man, that's, that's crazy. Hot. So you were like, fuck that, let me buy a $1,400 you, one. You spend, what, for as a domestic student, spend $30,000 with all your scholarships and everything funded for. If you're not, you pay $70,000 as an international student. God um, damn. Yeah, so if you take, you pay all that, and then you fail the class because you don't have the machine for it, then that's more than $1,400 wasted. Yeah. That's right. The drain, you fail. Class, you repeat it. You don't get a credit. So what's, yeah. what school do you currently attend? I, I, I go to um, the School of Art Institute of Chicago. So it's about 15 minutes down from where I live. It's right in um, this uh, loop area. Um, it's right across from the um, AIC, mm-hmm. um, where it's the Art Institute of Chicago, um, right next to the Millennium 
park. And what attracted you to go to that school? Honestly, out of the, amongst the other the possibility for our like, you know, there's SVA, there's mm-hmm. our art center, there's RISD, but all these programs, what they do is they kind of mold you into an artist. Mm-hmm. So essentially, you walk into the school thinking, I, I'm going to be either an architect or a graphic artist. And you go into those programs and they have these dedicated programs per semester, kind of like telling you like, this is a class you have to go to and this is the class you'll be at at the end of it. Right. This is the road you take to become like a good graphic artist. Mm-hmm. What that does is that the process eliminates people who aren't capable to graduate to that level. So people who end up graduating have a certain caliber. But at the same time, because of that, you're so stuck to this regime, this program, that you don't really have the freedom of being an artist. Right. Now, the, the whole element of being an artist is lost because you've become just a product and not a creator. That's right. right. Oh, wow. As opposed to SAIC where the idea is interdisciplinary. So essentially that, what that means is... Interdisciplinary? Right. Just like Jenny. Yeah, exactly. Right. Just like so, Jenny. Yeah. Hi, Jenny. <laughs> Hi. So the idea of interdisciplinary is that you can combine whatever talent you have, whatever mediums you've explored in, and then push it towards your certain type of field. Nice. So I like that. If I, for example, needed to do architecture, then I have the skills of a graphic artist, the skills of an AutoCAD designer, um, the skills of like maybe like if I do want to do vir- uh, virtual reality, I can combine all of those together to do just architecture. I can showcase you six million different ways this one piece instead of only knowing how to do one certain practice really well. Mm. At the end of the day, you're basically stuck to whatever you know is the machine cog in in the company. Sure. You're not more creative, you're not less creative. You're just there. Right? You're replaceable by anyone else who's came from that school. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that's. That they know insane. your talent. Yeah. They know exactly what you've been through. They know the curriculum. You're a machine. You're a machine, basically. What the yeah. fuck? Yeah, you. That is insane, right. man. The, the biggest thing as an artist is about creativity, and once you've lost that, that's it. You've become another part of a cog in society. There's no element of creativity, no element of like, like, like surprise. So, goddamn, you separate yourself from from that herd. Well, the idea is to dive into as many different mediums as possible that way you get to explore what you want mm-hmm. so essentially instead of like say like oh i'm gonna so there, there are two different ways of uh pursuing this mm-hmm. there's a correct and incorrect way. the incorrect way would be to get all to try different mediums and then not really know what you want to do at the end of it so mm-hmm. a student might be able to be a graphic artist but they might want to try photography they might want to try you know, 3d printing but at the end of the day, if you aren't able to implement those skills, you don't really know what to take back from it into your main practice, then you've just dived into so many different things, a jack of all trades, master of none. Right. Or I suppose you dive into different mediums, knowing specifically that you can bring them back into it. So for example, um, as an interior designer, I did VR game just so I could learn how to, you know, build the scenes in Unity, learn more about 3D CAD, my modeling, learn about game modeling. So I can just port it back showcases live scene interior design right, right? Yeah. so instead of making a mock-up that i can make make paper i can make the whole game that shows cases mm-hmm. just like a house yeah yeah that's uh, cool man yeah. how long how long does it how long for you does it take to make like a vr game like that like does it take like three months six months a year maybe more it's about a day about a day to make wow so 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 basically that video game that you showed us earlier with the vr that took you one day to make that took about three hours three hours to make goddamn that's crazy but for people like us this will take us 
uh, a very long time. Think so? <laughs> so I, like, I with, think with, so, yeah. With us having no experience, how long do you think it'll take for us to make a game? Like, well, obviously, you you don't know our skills, but like for a beginner, first time, I average. Honestly, I would suppose perhaps it might take you about six to eight months to learn the skill. Oh wow, it takes um, you time. Yeah. Honestly, um. I was slacking, kind of. So then it's been taking me about like ten weeks to try to like master the craft of like building game design and everything. So, really? so for me it took three months. But like that specifically because I like, I know how to do like you know creative modeling. I know how to set up all that kind of stuff. I understand software pretty well. Right. Damn. So transitioning to something like that is just understanding the UI, mm-hmm. and that's about it. But for someone who hasn't really touched this, it doesn't really take that long to really understand it. So how do you find um, how do you find the the motivation to like do this every day or not every day but every chance that you can? What makes you want to do this? Yeah, I suppose I I started off like before I did art I did STEM I did engineering right so right. I understood that when I walked into that that certain field that I was gonna have a more stable life more like stable like journey in terms of my career mm-hmm. and satisfy whatever pa- my parents are my par- like my dad's an engineer so following his footsteps is pretty much like normal but i decided like last semester of my senior year to switch over to do art because i knew that pursuing four years or just an entire lifetime doing engineering was just gonna be the worst experience i could ever have chosen um and I would have killed myself, honestly, if I, I pursued that, something like that. Definitely. So, you on that. so you want yeah. to, like, basically do your own thing and makes you whatever makes you happy. So, yeah. So I traded I that. the idea yeah, of, a, of a more stable and better, technically, in terms of economically better life to try to pursue art because I really wanted to, like, present, like, what I had in terms of my, my headspace, you know? That's yeah. right. And, and just you doing that alone, like, dude, like, you created so much right now. Yeah. You're still learning. How old are you again? I'm only 20. He's only 20. Oh, that's crazy. He's so, only 20. And yeah. I'm pretty sure he has a lot more skills than a lot of people out there that don't have any of this, man. So, like, props to you, bro. Yeah. Props for you. I really do fucking support you. Like, man, yeah, keep no, it up. seriously. Like, for real, like, you have, a, you have a good thing going here, man. Hell yeah. The... I guess the, the biggest thing, the biggest motivator for me, um, besides the fact that I wasn't going to have a stable career and I wanted to try something that I really loved that was the idea that I might make either $60,000 at most or make no money. And that's the life of an artist, mm-hmm. right? And without working day and night to try to crunch through, to try to learn more skills, to try to compete with the environment that I'm at, um, then I, yeah, cause I, I wanted to, be able to make way more and do way more with money with money like, i can like make b- bigger artworks hire more people to make b- bigger things sure. so if i didn't have all those motivations to uh, and have all those money and that kind of stuff i don't know what kind of art i would make so i wouldn't have motivation to continue right. like, basically it doesn't really make too much sense i guess but no it kind of does in a way like the way you dream big is kind of your motivation. Right. Like the idea is like you have to have more money to do bigger art so you can have, you know, even more money to do even more art. So it's kind of right. like a perpetual cycle of trying to 
know, present something nicer and with more like access and everything. Right. That's right. That's something I'm trying to do too with these canvases because I'm, I'm a graffiti artist. So like, I like to work with letters a lot. I don't do anything that's 3D. I do everything two dimensional, whether it be paper, canvas, walls. Um, but yeah, I work on a lot of lettering and just like you said, dude, like if you lose that creation, that creativity in your mind, you basically lose it all. Yeah. And that's what, that's kind of the path where I'm trying to, I'm not trying, but that's kind of the path where I'm heading towards right now too. Cause I'm slowly starting to lose it, but I'm trying not to. Cause like, man, if I lose it, that's it. Yeah. And I don't want that to happen. So what the sad reality is that you want to be able to create art and all, and so many of you have commentary about, you know, the economic status of people and economic status of art itself. Right. But without funding, you lose all motivation. You lose all hope for That's continuing true. to pursue yeah. what you want. That's true. So at the end of the day, the biggest challenge for it as an artist is to what is to find out what you can, what kind of money you can make with what kind of art you can produce. Right. That's true. Right. That's and true. to try to continue producing that art um, requires you to pick up more skills, mm-hmm. pick up more knowledge, more theory, and present it. Right. So that's the hustle of an artist, man. Essentially, yeah. so it, it, and art school is it's less of a just I know colors, I I I like stuff, but it's more like the what is the human psychology behind like understanding like satisfaction, understanding like feeling, understanding emotions, all that kind of stuff. That's it's right. also a scientific part of it, understanding the engineering, understanding the design part of it. So it's something that actually functions. Wow. Yeah. Without those, then. Yeah, kind of screwed as an artist. That's so fucking crazy. I never thought about it like that, man. But why we like the things we like in, yeah. in art or like... Or just in general, because like, like when the, you... Like the aesthetically pleasing, um, uh, pleasing side to art that like stimulates our brain and shit. Yeah, like, yeah it's so, weird. Yeah, it's the biggest motivating art of artists is that you study all this stuff so that you can present like what you've got, you know. That you, you, so you need to invoke a certain feeling with your even, you know, what you've made. If you haven't done that, then... The funding you've spent into trying to build yourself as an artist, the learning you 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 paid to learn this kind of material, or the you just the just time you spent learning material itself, that's right. It's always it's always a price to it. It's always a price to it, essentially. So that's that right. is the biggest challenge of like the balance between like you know mo- what motivates you as an artist and trying to make sure that you are following the correct career path to build or continue as an artist. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. So you're you so basically. As an artist, you're kind of like on the cliff. So, like, do you want to continue, or like, do you just want to fall down and just like start from zero, or like you just don't know, or maybe sometimes right. you're lost? Because sometimes you got to be careful with motivating yourself. Below yeah. in this in certain way is if you motivate yourself and you think your art is so important, but no one really wants it. At the end of the day, without that, you can't continue with making that art, and That's you just right. lose. Um, as an artist, you're not producing more work. You end up scraping, uh, scraping by to try to make something, and it's just not ideal, I suppose. If you That's try so to true. be a creative person. So personally, for you, what is your creative process like when you're getting ready to uh, design something for like three hours, or three D print something for a while, and make sure it's like exactly how you want it, or you know, like what what do you do to prepare for when you're about to make something? I guess the biggest thing would be, t- I like archiving. I, I have a weird habit of like collecting like photos, collecting like da- data wow. um, on my phone or anything, or wherever I go. So basically, if I just go to a dumpster or even I go to like a tropical area, mm-hmm. I would like take a small photo, take a little video of it, try to capture that and put it into my phone. And what that does 
as every single time I need to think of an idea, I need to think of a color palette, I need to think of a theme, I can just scroll randomly, pick a pick a spot and kind of collect it based on what I have there. And then like if I say, for example, if I scroll through and I saw like um what I something I recently picked was like from my images from Bali. Mm-hmm. Um then basically what I did was I researched like the animals in Bali. Yeah. Then took the color palette from that specific uh, uh, species of animals, then use that as the basis of like the game process. That's wow. crazy. I actually do something like that too, because like not too long ago, I went to the aquarium, right? And I looked at this octopus. He was like all the way in the corner. And then I'm like, oh, look, babe, look, look at the octopus. And the octopus kind of sees me. And he like lets go of that little corner and slowly comes up to me. And I'm like, damn, I got to take a picture. He's so cool. He comes up to me. He like this really magical creature with three hearts, bro. Like just starts to spread out its arms. <laughs> and you just see its tentacles, like hundreds of tentacles in his arms just right there. I'm like, God damn, I'm just recording him, taking pictures of him. <laughs> so that way, whenever I need a motivation to fucking create something, I look at that, I put that shit on the wall, and then I just do whatever the fuck Wait, I need I, to And do. I highly recommend, like, doing videos. That gives you a different perspective. That gives you multiple frames. You got to choose what is different. And, and basically from that, there's so much more variables that you can pick from to create something from i never seen it like that but thank thank goodness for me that i recorded that yeah i think i think that's a whole different perspective yeah. uh, that people don't really look at uh you're like up here and then people like me are like yeah hey, man, hey, man. Like, people like take photos really just to take photos or you know just hold, hold on to a memory or something but you're you're utilizing your photos for a, a project in the future if the idea is you can take whatever you know, you, you do whatever habit it, it is. You take whatever you have, and then you can you always have something to produce out of it. Mm-hmm. If you can't produce something out of like the little things you have, then as an artist, you really have failed in terms of the creativity part of it. You're That's right. Back to the idea of being a cog in machine without you know the tasks given to you, without mm-hmm. you know the the certain criteria of what they want. You're lost. Wow, that's right. That's right. insane. That's and that, crazy. back to the motivation part, also affects your motivation. Wow. So this entire thing circles around, essentially. That's, that's right. That's it so does. Crazy. It yeah, does. It really it, does. Yeah. That's crazy. Holy crap, man. So, um, for people who don't know you, obviously, you're like a weird secret hidden genius. <laughs> um, I've, I've been told apparently, so I'm still challenging that because I have... I'm always so dumb when I do things, but you know, yeah, just, yeah. yeah we're, we're, I mean, we're all humans. So like, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. There's only so much time in a day, and you know, time like, in a day we can be smart enough. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> so, right, like they say, like almost. I, I don't know how that saying goes. I can't remember. But anyways, <laughs> so, um, what are some previous projects you've done in the past that you know people might want to look at, or you why you might want people to look at, or uh, what are some projects do you have upcoming that you're excited for and you want to like tell the whole fucking world about um well i usually like um deleting a lot of my old work because um i usually reflect back at like maybe like three months five months back mm-hmm. i always find myself hating whatever i do i can relate to that um and so anything that's physical i've immediately have destroyed Really? Wow. Yeah, I have. I don't uh, hold on to anything physical at the moment. Is considering the fact that it's been a year since since COVID, I haven't touched my physical things. I haven't like you know 
proceeded with the uh, like you know skill sets to build things in physical space so mm-hmm. everything that i had i just i eventually just fell out of taste and just got rid of it man yeah that's what i'm saying i mean i can relate to that though because um recording podcasts like i look back at older podcasts like the first like five episodes or whatnot and i deleted i deleted all that off my phone i was like i don't want this i, I don't even i don't want it digitally i don't want it physically like it's there on youtube and spotify like, you can listen to it but in terms of like to do more editing or to keep it on my phone like i just it's gone because i look back at those episodes and i'm like man that was such a rough start like it it's so bad and now we're 20 episodes deep and uh about like 400 followers later and you know um it's just so crazy to look back at how how ugly it was when <laughs> when it was just the beginning. <laughs> yeah. But um, so if if you don't keep any of your old physical projects, what do you, what do you do with them? So I keep all the raw files. Eat it for those. Uh, if I have any pictures and digital files, um, especially like the assets and other kind of stuff, mostly on my computer. Mm-hmm. Um, so what that allows me to do is if I don't like a piece, right, right reflect back on it. I still have all the materials I can as uh, like the, the idea of like improving an art isn't to, you know, bring in either more things or more quality things, right? Is using the exact same materials I had in raw file right. to recreate the exact same work and see if I can do better. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the idea. So you can, you reiterate and do it better. And then after a few months, you don't like it again, destroy it yeah. and then redo the exact same file. Cause like, I don't know. I also have the idea of if I had this physical thing, I wouldn't want to continue to rebuild the entire thing because out of convenience. Yeah. Um, but without it, for example, if I destroyed it and then we're like, cool, I need to, I need to take documentations of this, but I don't really like it. I have a new thing to build towards. That's that I have to document then they. That's, that's a really good, um, uh, mindset to have when doing something like that. that that's really great. Yeah. Um, but uh i want to uh i think you explained this to me earlier off camera but uh why did you decide to choose the art institute as your school of choosing you right just said oh oh did you okay i then i skipped yeah stuff. what is that in there yeah, yeah <laughs> stuff um so you talked about um doing stuff digitally like uh like video game designing and uh, uh you talked about a whole number of projects but i want to know how you specifically got into like 3d printing like did you, like like if you just saw it and you were like that's really cool like i want i want to do that one day or if you have a friend or something like that that introduced you to it well as a previous like student doing engineering stem um that's kind of the field i was mostly doing at I was studying mostly bioengineering as bioengineering. So, but the entire process, me and my best friend, we, um, tried to design, you know, prosthetics. Um, we worked on like a artificial, like hand, uh, not Mm -hmm. like a whole limb. So the idea was that we use, um, electrons to try to influence the shrinkage of nylon Mm -hmm. and using nylon fiber essentially to recreate muscle fibers. Mm -hmm. So when you, because of that technology with that, uh, we can shrink with electricity, you can create these arms that basically shrink, uh, the fiber inside it artificially with a battery. And that allows you to do things like muscle joints and all that. So that's really essentially what it really is. It's just your tendon shrinking and releasing. Yeah. So with a bunch of those, we've created like an arm that can do that. Okay, so you can't make a, a an arm that can do like like 
baseball throws and whatnot no, and all this no, crazy but stuff. Like, but like, it can close and open essentially. Yeah. Where, so it's like a stepping stone into like further advanced technology. Yeah. Um, all right, but so yeah, so after doing you know doing STEM, after doing engineering, all that kind of stuff, I was like, let's. We ha- I have no skills in art. Right. Right. I didn't do any type of medium beforehand, so I or wasn't really good at it. So what was I gonna do in art school? So I just brought in whatever I learned from 3D printing, and you know, here we are. And you applied it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I just applied whatever knowledge I had with 3D modeling, with 3D printing. Decided I could take CAD modeling with either I can I could redesign. I don't have to design biometric or bionic arms. I could you know make furniture with the exact right. same tools. Right. And so I did. So I'm here. Nice. Oh, nice. That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, because I can only imagine trying to create a uh, human limb is extremely difficult. Yeah, and I after like two months of at it, it but, like knowing that like we could only get it to be so far with whatever knowledge I had, uh, I was just like, let's leave that to someone more qualified and do something yeah. better in their lives. <laughs> yeah, it sounds, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. That's wow. crazy how, how much the human brain can actually learn and like yeah. apply it. Yeah. And that's just, that's just really crazy and really shocking to me. Like the brain is really mysterious so we don't even understand it ourselves, bro. Like even the smartest dude like alive or has ever roamed here on the planet probably still doesn't it's a con- understand it's, it's what a goes con- on. It's a vicious continuing learning cycle. Same thing with the nervous system. Yeah. Absolutely. Same thing with the nerves. Absolutely. But, um, so you are originally from Hong Kong. Right. What was that? What, what was that like growing up in a city like that? Cause that is a very advanced city. So I grew up in between Shanghai and Hong Kong. So both of them are quite advanced cities. Um, they kind of look like whatever Chicago is supposed to go from in about 20 to 40 years with way more high-rise buildings way more glass stuff you know with all this kind of aesthetics yeah um but generally also cheaper um and that's and and that's what i I found the best part about living in hong kong was that um you get access to quality you get access to you know uh healthcare Mm -hmm. healthcare is entirely provided for you mostly i suppose that i believe we're over there yeah so essentially you pay you know the insurance rates and so it's taken care of yeah i believe we're one of the only countries in the world that doesn't have universal healthcare. yeah yeah so you know the lifestyle there is pretty cool for like you know if you you don't really have to spend all that much to be able to get whatever is supposed to be chicago life Mm -hmm. right where you live in a you live in a nine like foot tall studio and all that kind of stuff and above and in the the city and all that kind of shit get all that in hong kong for way less um and you know they generally like way more access to cheaper foods uh and better health care so essentially I, I suppose you know nicer word word nice so not much different from chicago i don't really know how to describe anything different from chicago and hong kong as well as the difference is just like yeah, it's just that. But like, it's besides like the people, the language, it's just that. There's not really much of a difference. It's city to city. Um, okay. What do you like better over there, over here? I suppose here, um, Hong Kong is is way smaller than Chicago. Really? Oh, wow. What? I so, think. So, wait, wait, wait. So, so Hong Kong is smaller than Chicago, but I has... suppose with the with the suburbs involved, because Hong Kong is about okay. thirty five. I think twenty five to thirty five miles in, in length in total. Oh, wow. That's a whole radius? It's diameter, yeah. So the diameter is about 35 miles. That's... 
Okay, that's well, pretty reasonable. Yeah, I think that includes the all, uh, it includes bodies of water around the islands and everything. Oh, oh, oh that includes bodies of water. Yeah. Oh, wow, Damn. including bodies of water for yeah, the Chicago land area is actually yeah, we are big. tiny, tiny, tiny. Wow, yeah. so, and there's more people living there. There were 11 million people living there. 11 million people, and over here, how yeah. much do we have? Like 5 million in yeah, Chicago? 3 million people in the city of, uh, in the city itself, and about 8 million people living around the surrounding neighborhoods. Yeah. Over there in Shanghai? Or no, Hong Kong? Here, here. No, here. Oh, here. Here. So think about, think about all the people who live on the, the outskirts of the south side. Right. Think about people, people who live on the suburbs. Yep, people who live on the outskirts of the west side, mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. people who live on the outskirts of the north side, and that's kind of it. And then you have everybody who lives in the middle or here in downtown. So I suppose COVID or no COVID, there's way more people, but that's about it. Dang okay. And do you, do, you, do, you, do you know how the crisis is doing out there right now? Prices? The crisis? The crisis? Like the, the, the you know, the, the coronavirus pandemic? Unfortunately... It's stable to unstable. Stable to unstable. We had a situation where I, I suppose we were at a state where we were dying down in certain cases, but unfortunately, with the mutations happening in India, the influx of people flying back from um, to Hong Kong. Um, right. There are a lot of Hong Kong people from uh, that live in India currently. I suppose now Indians fly to Hong Kong, um, and that's created now a uh, problem in Hong Kong itself. Uh, because now we have to worry about like people who are incoming flights and screening them. Because um, the weird part is, before flying into Hong Kong, those guys tested negative, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when they flew into Hong Kong, they all tested positive. Wow. What the fuck? So you think they got infected, like just traveling? They, so basically, the test kind of screened for dormant viruses, but once it gets you know, more active inside the airplane when it spreads, then everyone catches it. And then that's what, you, that's what Hong Kong has to deal with right now. It's making sure that those cases don't accidentally influx into a city of 11 million people yes. and not really much else to go. That right? is a very difficult Unlike job. the suburbs where you can live on your own, you're living all in apartment buildings next to thousands of people. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. That's right. So Chicago like kind of does have like its space. But like for a city in Hong Kong to be really small and crowded... I can I can picture yeah. that like being really tough right now, man. So Especially are, for the people, dude. So they are really, really going through right now, trying to deal with that crisis yeah. and trying to so, handle that. Wow. I guess. I guess uh, I'm sorry. Do you know if they have vaccine, um, vaccines out there? Um, they do actually. They do. Um, I think China has their own version of vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Hong Kong has been either working with. I'm not sure if they're even getting the Chinese vaccine or the. Uh, the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine because of their relationship with England. Oh, that's wow. right. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, because uh, Hong Kong's relationship with China is still strained due to you know the whole annexation that's happened a little too early. Mm-hmm. But here we are. Yeah, but here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Just um, specks of dust in the world. Listening to that news. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's so crazy. But um, what was it like for you when you came? When you first came to Chicago and you made that transition from Hong Kong to to, it's actually Chicago. really funny because um the the day I flew into Hong uh, into Chicago for the first time, um, was the day they barricaded the entire Hong Kong airport. Oh wow! Is that is during that pro- that specific protest? I was during that day. I had to go in there, and so uh, we went from a very peaceful, you know, open, you know, airport international space, you know, mm-hmm. all, a very friendly hub. And then we had a protest and all of a sudden that place went from like, you could see the 
full reign of CCP, like raining down and everything. They, they were like strict on everything. Wow. They had security everywhere. You couldn't walk into the airport unless you had a ticket ready yeah. um, to present so that you had evidence that you weren't there to be a hooligan. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, you couldn't protest. And then like, and then you, yeah, and had to leave all that. And I was just like, I got to skip out of this situation here. <laughs> yeah. When did you come here to Chicago? Uh, about two years ago. Two years um, ago? Yeah. Did you live anywhere else besides here in Chicago? Like, inside of the United States, have you been anywhere else? So I have. So I, I, I've been to, to California. I've been to New York and, uh, Boston, Massachusetts. It's three places I've been Massachusetts, yeah. yeah. I lived yeah. in Massachusetts for quite a while. So I, I, I guess I visited like for like a day trip for like, you know, like to, you know, okay. uh, Connecticut or Wisconsin, you know, here, there, different yeah. places, but like never really like actually absorbed the area. Kind of like live and like got yeah, to see what Or like, even like buy food that I just like kind of just went there and fucked off. But it, really, is that something that you're interested in is living in another state in this country? No, I'm terrified of that kind of shit, bro. <laughs> like, Why? Like, living, living in Hong Kong, Shanghai for so long, Chicago, because Chicago is such a similar aesthetically city that I feel so much more comfortable here, especially in the loop. Yeah. Um, but if I were to have to go away and live in the suburbs, uh, I think I would just freak out from the change in scenery. Yeah. Right. That's, uh, it's not, it's not pleasant. It's, I, it's an adjustment for sure. Like, live, I went from being a city boy to living a country life at one point, and it is, it's weird, man. Like I ended up in in uh, Vermont, which is right next to upstate New York, and I lived in a town called um, called uh, Pittsburgh. It's right next to uh, Rutland, which is probably uh, I think it's like the second biggest like town or city or whatever in Vermont. And I was, I can guarantee you, I was the only Mexican within a 50 or 75 mile radius. And it was, it was scary. It was uncomfortable and it's just not fun. And I can tell you, if you move to a suburb here in Illinois, like if you move to like Schaumburg or any, anywhere past that, like if you move way down south or way west of Illinois, you will definitely feel the same way. I guess it's the idea that like, um compounds uh, not very much so so in america we have gated communities yes but in in places like shanghai and hong kong you have compounds so so what's the difference between a gated and a compound so again the community is just very much a you have have very privileged individuals who have a segregated like neighborhood where they just have their you know get an area that's right like they have their own houses garages uh, streets right but with compounds um China is pretty like common with creating like little hub zones of where like either like your apartment buildings are, um, and it's just kind of like for security. Mm-hmm. Um, every single like you know like maybe like uh, on this one giant block, they need like ten um, apartment buildings, right? Right, and they're all because it's developed by the same like developers. They're just gonna build like a little compound esque around that, and that's just like you know the area where the compound is. And then the next block is just more compounds, more compounds, essentially like that. So you don't have the aesthetic of like chi- of Chicago where you just have, you know, this house here and there in the street. Randomly. Yeah, it's like a house here and there and then a random business pops up. And yeah, like, it's not that. Yeah. So like you have like, you know, you know, this is a compound because like this is a whole like block that yeah. like goes on from to the end of the road. Wow. Damn. I think yeah. that's a really, uh, a really, a really useful system. Um, yeah. But and it's, it's, it's less about like, um, privilege and it's just more about like you know making sure that the area is safe you know so, um, yeah not 
it's not just like rich apartments that have pretty much every single type of uh, like like lifestyle you have. You'll always have access to a compoundish kind of style. So you have all these different types of uh, different types of classes of people that have literally the same thing. Yeah. So they're so, all equal. Yeah. So kind of like you might get like nicer compounds, nicer like security, but like at the end of the day, like you, even if you don't really have, even if you are like poor you can still get the comfort mm-hmm. there that like there is like security there is something that like yeah. that so yeah i think that's just the biggest thing that's supposed to america is like the sense of like there is someone at least looking out for you in the back yeah like, i think that's great and that's yeah that's something we definitely don't have here yeah but we could definitely use that for sure yeah it's just to, just to make things a lot less you know scary in terms of your lives like a straight bullet hitting you is terrifying right right exactly right. so um i understand you have a couple of um, uh issues with your legal status right now i don't know if you're willing to talk about that sure yeah but um i understand you're on a bit of a, a an immigration watch list so not not that so i have an f1 visa so that's the reason why i'm allowed in the united states okay. right the f1 visa allows me to stay in the united states for about uh five years so four years of you know, college, and then another year where I get to have something called uh, the optional training pro- program. Okay. Um, so an OPT, basically. Um, what that allows me to do is find work off campus. Mm-hmm. Finally, at the end of like you know my four years of studying, I have one year to try to find a place that will sponsor my H one B visa. Yeah. So that I can remain in the United States for longer. Oh, so you can working. I got but it. But here's the interesting part about F one visa. That you're select, you're you have um secluded like classes that or things you can go to like internships you can apply for jobs mm-hmm. you can apply for, and that really severely limits um like your like when your options of where you can find income, your job opportunities to try to expand your career right as opposed to like your domestic student where you can just literally fuck off and try to find a gig whenever you want and maybe it lands and maybe it doesn't but like you know you can always ask so right. so what are some of the what's it called um things that you're allowed to work in so for example like if i have to do like on-campus jobs right um which are not ideal um it doesn't allow me to you know, pursue like real work stuff it doesn't give me real work experience um high, getting hired under someone who has the liability of like running a business um and what you like at working at school is just you know you kind of like get paid minimum and you don't really do that much to advance yourself mm-hmm. and 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 they why would you so kind of, what kind of work do you do then at school you like manual menial stuff like you either do like you know like checkouts for like you know the tools yeah. or you're a ta but a ta is like you just sit in a room and just like kind of like make sure like it doesn't go to shit for seven yeah, hours pretty much yeah like what? like if you can be a ta if you had just a high school diploma mm-hmm. like you don't need a whole like bachelor's or associates or any type of degree at all like, wait what's a pa a ta is like it's a it's like a teacher's assistant or a pa is a professional a, a professor assistant or stuff like that but yeah like you said you're just sitting in a room making sure that the the class doesn't get disruptive or doesn't turn to shit and every, all the people are just like mocking the teacher or disrespecting the teacher and shit right. like that you could be using that like 
pay or no pay, but you could be using that time there to be working at somewhere else where it can provide you with the resources to advance your career. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Perhaps you could work for somewhere like Mattel or, unideally, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, both of which give you upper mobility. Right? Somewhere to, to leap off from, eventually. Damn, I never thought about it that way, man. Yeah, which is, um, it, it's kind of where I'm headed towards that career change right now. Um, you know, I've been a chef for, oh, or I guess I'll say chef. I mean, I don't have that title in an actual kitchen, but like I've been cooking long enough to the point that I can call myself that. But um, I'm switching from the kitchen. I'm trying to go into a, a field canvassing position so that way I can work for a, a children's nonprofit organization. Um, which is, it's, I, it's more difficult than I thought, but doesn't take as many requirements as, as I, I thought as well. Like I, th- I thought I would need like an associate's degree and all this stuff, but they literally just want me like with no experience and they're going to certify me to do this. So Wait, to do what? To, to do field canvassing, to, to work. What's that? It's, um, so you're basically working for a nonprofit organization for children. You're, you're helping children, you're helping them with, um, um, with anything, you're helping them from, uh, you're helping immigrate from a, uh, an immigration family that, that just, that just migrated here and doesn't have documents and needs help doing a bunch of stuff. But you're solely focusing on the children and not, and not the parents. Uh, but it's the parents who reach out to these organizations for the help. Mm-hmm. And, and we also help like a low income, uh, families here in America that like just can't afford it. Or if the parents have some type of felonies that doesn't allow them to get the job that, that, um, you know, if they can't get that job, then they can't provide for the family. So if they can't provide for the family, they're left confused and the government doesn't help them at all. So that's when they turn to organizations like this when they're like, can you help us? And they'll help in any way that they can, whether it's well, like a social worker, kind of like a social worker. Yeah. So it can be whether it's like food, it can be whether it's like, uh, housing or, or, uh, education or a bunch of other stuff. Like in any way, shape or form, like they definitely help. Um, they also help with like vaccines and stuff like that. Like, uh, I don't know if that's accessible to everybody, but I know it's accessible to most people. So yeah, that's kind of what, uh, what a field canvassing is for that. And then you also, um, learn a good amount about like marketing and advertising your nonprofit. So that way more people are, um, know about it and no more people know about like this, this resource that, you know, that that's really helpful. Mm. Yeah. I'll probably end up doing like the advertising and marketing because that's directly where I want to go because it would also help reflect for this podcast. Yeah, I felt that. Yeah, definitely. You definitely learn how to like advertise it more, right. promote it, and all of this is really good. We need promotion, so like, yeah. Um, <laughs> another thing we would want to ask you if, um, obviously, if you can like subscribe. Follow us, listen, yeah. um, fucking shout us out on your page or whatever, you know, yeah. um, make a post or like, cause we're trying to get out there, you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we just started when, like in December, this past December, we just started doing this. And so you like, our numbers aren't up there yet, but we're hoping to like, you know, with a little knowledge and the little information that we slowly start to get, like eventually we'll start, you know, Taking step by step by step until we get all the way to the top of the ladder, we'll just be like, shit, we're made, we made it here. Now let's see what's the fuck. I don't know. Maybe like go so, even higher. I mean, I would hope so that we can go even higher, but we'll see what happens in the future. Yeah, we got it. We, we, we got it. We got to Yeah, we got to work on that. We got to hustle, man. 
But back to Kendrick, though. Um, for people who want to check out your work or check out any like snippets or anything of your work, uh, what's your social media and where can people find you or website or anything like that? Uh, well, my you know my Instagram tag is Cobble underscore. My uh, website is called Cobble Studios. Um, spelled with a K A U B L E instead. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only difference. But on that, all my work is on there. Um, all digitalized and archived for you to you know, experience to enjoy. Right. There are physical works and art like uh, this kind of stuff. They're either um, gonna be on hold until COVID after ends and everything. Right. Um, but something coming up that probably people can check out is that we are currently trying to open up a VR gallery in July. Um, so if people want to check it out, um, I'll probably try to figure out what more information on it. We're still trying to like put that stuff together, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, it'll be an open show for like after COVID ends after yeah. you know July Fourth and everything. Got it. So awesome, perfect. Okay, and this information where are you gonna put it on your website? Yeah, um, either either gonna have those that information on the website, um, or on my uh, Instagram page. But okay, if cool. we figure it out, then yeah. Okay, awesome, cool, yeah. man. I wish you the best for that. Man. Yeah, I wish you the best, man. Like you have a lot going on, man. You have you have an extremely bright future, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's brighter than ours. But everybody has their struggles, you know. Like yeah. this, this dude, you know, he still got some shit yeah. to work with, you yeah, know. Yeah, so, like, absolutely. Shit, it's a challenge, bro. And like you're only twenty years old. Yeah, you're just understanding. You're just understanding life. If not, you're just probably getting into it to the beginning yeah. and shit yeah. life is gonna kick you in the ass yeah yeah it hits everybody yeah, but it's um everybody we we appreciate you having us here and this beautiful apartment we appreciate you uh um taking the time to sit down and talk with us of course sure. this was this was a great conversation and i hope i hope our audience really enjoy it yeah dude i hope y'all enjoy it. you heard yeah <laughs> but um yeah this is uh this is the end, so I'll ask you our final question that we ask most of our most of our guests. Yes, yes. This is the this is the part where I get excited. Yeah, he loves this. Go I ahead, man. This. Take it away. Okay, cool. I'm gonna say exactly how Oscar says it. In what shape, way, or form do you consider yourself a fuck up? Take your time, man. This is <laughs> one of those deep questions that you just say, okay, now. Where do I start off? How do I want to respond to this? <laughs> I guess. Do you need like a better definition of like fuck up? No, I guess it's just not really having a secure future. Mm. Um, kind of you know being, you know, uncertain with what a practice I really want to pursue, what kind of art I would presenting next. Yeah. Like who wants to see my work? Um, so I suppose. I left a life of security to, you know, to be a creative, to present something that might not even be presentable or might not want to be presented. You, what yeah. do you mean? You got a 3D printer right there. Nah, no, that's not everything though. No, nah, it's not, but it's a lot more better than what I'm doing, to be honest. So, in terms of that, just, you know, if, if you're, I suppose I'm constantly wondering if I'm fucking up because mm. of the steps I'm taking that is eventually leading me towards an uncertain path. That's right. That's right. And you know, the biggest things in life is that life is a risk. Yeah, so you make, you make, you make that decision whether yeah. you want it to or not. And there are going to be moments where you're just going to be down in the bitch. Yeah. And you're just going to be like, fuck, why did I do this? You're going to start a regret, but man, but man, you got to find yourself 
a way out of that hole. Post it comes full circle when back in the beginning of the discussion would be, you know, like without that, you know, as a fuck up, you know, we try to stay motivated as best we can. That's and right. Yeah. Like with all the fuck ups to continue to be motivated to, to present more work and eventually, hopefully, you know, unfuck up everything to, you know, be oh, a successful wow. artist. That was great. That was a full circle. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> like, was, so like, man. it takes a, so like, Understanding that I'm gonna be, fu- I'm gonna fuck up so many things. Understanding I'm gonna be fucked up. Right. Um, make doing all this, trying to learn all, all this kind of stuff, and then taking my lifetime to unfuck up everything I've done to be able to present it nicely. Man, you just keep doing that. Bro. Yeah, yeah. Keep yeah. on doing it. Don't give oh, up, yeah, man. man. Just keep fucking doing yeah. it, man. But um, thank you for listening to the Fuckers Podcast. Um, we will see you guys until the next time. Thank you, Kendrick. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you, man. Edwin. Shit. What's fucking awesome conversation, man. Yeah. Back to Chicago, but my music was all I had.